the real morons were a bunch of other policymakers um, in the UK economic policy establishment that had set the economy up for failure already. Uh, so remember, already by the time Truss was uh, you know, rolling out her mini budget in September, we had uh, much higher inflation than the Bank of England's 2% target. Um, it was clear that we were um, you know, going to run into various problems in terms of energy prices. It was becoming clear that a lot of these uh, outcomes were the result of policy errors that had been made by the Bank of England, um, by you know, previous governments. Welcome back to the IEA podcast. I'm Matthew Lesh, the Director of Public Policy and Communications here at the IEA. This podcast asks a tantalizing policy question to a top thinker each week. Today's question, why are mortgages skyrocketing? The average mortgage rate has risen above 6% this week for a two-year fixed deal, the highest rate since the mini budget fallout last year. This, according to some estimates, means households facing 2,900 more in annual mortgage repayments uh, amongst those renewing over the next year. To discuss the large economic and political ramifications and how we've got to this situation, I'm excited to be joined by Joseph Sternberg, who's a columnist and an editorial board member at the Wall Street Journal based in London, as well as the author of The Theft of a Decade, How the Baby Boomers Stole the Millennials' Economic Future. Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Hey, Matthew, it's great to be here. Um, So last autumn, we were told that the moron risk premium was pushing up the cost of gilts and uh, consequently mortgage interest rates. Um, Yet now we're seeing the gilts and interest rates and everything going back up again. I suppose the natural question is, are the morons back in charge? Uh, Well, I think the the problem with that whole moron risk premium discussion that we were having last autumn is that people fixed on the wrong morons when we were talking about, about that. So remember... That phrase came out of uh, the Liz Trust mini budget fiasco in September, where they had rolled out all of these, um, you know, aggressive tax cut uh, proposals. Um, you know, hadn't fully costed them through the Office for Budget Responsibility. The markets took fright. Um, guilt yields skyrocketed. Interest rates went up, and then everyone suggested that Trust should have seen this uh, coming, and that she and then Chancellor Quasi Quarteng were morons uh, for not having seen the danger and uh, for having stumbled into this uh, economic disaster. Well. They made a lot of uh, political and a few policy mistakes that, I mean, we could talk about, um, you know, sometime if one really wanted to, but I think that the real morons were a bunch of other policymakers um, in the UK economic policy establishment that had set the economy up for failure already by that point. Uh, so remember, already by the time Truss was, uh, you know, rolling out her mini budget in September, we had uh, much higher inflation than the Bank of England's two percent target. Um, it was clear that we were, um, you know, going to run into various problems in terms of energy prices, which were creating a lot of difficulty for people contributing to the inflation. Uh, it was clear that the supply side of the economy was not responding to those price signals the way that it, it would um, if the economy were healthy. And it was becoming clear that a lot of these 
uh, outcomes were the result of policy errors that had been made by the Bank of England, um, by you know, previous governments, both Labour and especially Tories, because they had been in power for 12 years at, at that point. Um, and so I think that what, in retrospect, what really happened is that those trusts and quasi quartings stumbled into um, a particular manifestation of the consequences of these pre-existing mm. policy errors. So where we are today is those policy errors are still with us. Um, you know, getting rid of trusts and quartering uh, didn't solve the underlying inflation or productivity problems that are bedeviling the economy it, right it, now. This, this feels like where the, the politicians have really shot themselves in the face here, which is the Conservatives have become the face of high inflation, the, the, the face of um, what is, in many respects, uh, a arguably a monetary phenomenon and a failed Bank of England, as well as kind of a longer term policy failure. But, but before we get into that, I want to, um, so we kind of know the longer term story, I guess, of inflation, which is uh, loose monetary, some mixture of loose monetary policy and supply um, constraints and the, the war in Ukraine, you throw all that mixed together and, and you get this, um, you know, 20% inflation or thereabouts we saw. But there seems to be kind of some kind of an additional story going on in recent weeks or certainly recent months, where the Bank of England is struggling to get hold of this. There's a sense in which either they haven't put up interest rates fast enough, um, things are a bit more sticky than, than uh, people might have thought, um, and therefore we're, we're stuck with a kind of longer period inflation and, and, and higher interest rates than markets were anticipating, and then that's what's driving up the mortgage interest rates. I wonder what you make of this situation. Do you think there's you know, a certain rationality here to what we've seen in, in the last few months. And in fact, the Bank of England has under-responded to inflation even in, in recent months. Or is there a risk that we're actually overdoing it here, that inflation is about to come down as some of the monetarists have claimed because of the um, some money supply has been going down since the second half of last year? Well, I, th I think the problem is that um, economists actually know a lot less about inflation than they think they do, and than we tend to think economists know. Um, and so, I, I think that you know one way to understand how this influences the, the, these discussions today is if you think about what the Bank of England actually is trying to accomplish with these interest rate increases, and then what are the things that appear in the economic data that make them think that they're succeeding or fail it, failing. I mean, one of the recent uh, events in the past couple of weeks is uh, stronger than expected labor market data, particularly wages. Uh, that is a development that has led markets to believe that the Bank of England is going to have to work a lot harder uh, to contain inflation. Um, and that, in fact, is uh, correct on the part of markets to think that because the Bank of England is going to think that these strong you know, labor market signals are a sign that the Bank of England has to work a lot harder. Uh, but it's not really true that there's a relationship between uh, wages and inflation or this kind of wage price sp spiral or, or the, this Phillips curve concept that the Bank of England and, and a lot of um, major central banks operate from. It's not really clear that that is what has been going on in this inflationary cycle, because I mean, the story both in the UK and in major economies like the US is that wages have consistently fallen behind inflation. So something else is affecting the, the price level that is not in the labor market. And yet the labor market appears to be the target that the Bank of England is aiming at as a means of trying to control the inflation. Um, and so I think that 
part of what you're seeing in these recent moves this week in the mortgage market is um, banks kind of in, I guess people are always stuck anticipating the policy error that they think the central bank is going to make um, because you have you, you have to play in that sandbox so if people think that the bank of england is going to continue raising rates uh you know to target particular outcomes in the labor market um you know banks and other parts of the financial system will respond to that expectation yeah, is there a sense you were using there's temptation by kind of commentators and and even market actors to some extent to use these these very basic heuristics, which is uh, which come from you know a certain historical point in time. Let's say you know in in the the way to shock yourself out of inflation is you have to put up interest rates a lot, then you get a lot of unemployment, um, you get a recession potentially as well, uh, and then that's that's the, the the kind of logical next step. And so because they're not seeing the kind of I suppose, recession, stagnation, not really recession, but certainly not seeing the um, increase in employment. Therefore, the assumption is um, inflation will be sticky and therefore um, uh, something's going on there. And that kind of heuristic, that way we've kind of just assumed that things work um, isn't necessarily playing out. I suppose the, the next question then is, you know, what do you think is going on here? You know, if what, why is inflation so sticky? We've, we've heard a lot of these claims about um, effectively corporate profiteering, that, that the reason that um, inflation is so high is is because um, corporations have market power. Uh, they're they're able to put up prices and keep them higher for longer. Uh, and therefore, what we need now is price controls because you know that that's that's the way to to get down inflation. Well, I, what I find interesting about this argument, which you hear from economists on the left, is that they manage to start in what I think is probably the correct square on the game board and then almost immediately start moving in the wrong direction from, from there. So, uh, you know, this argument that you hear about price controls or corporate greed or excess profits um, is actually, I think, kind of starting in the, the right place because at least it's not starting in the labor market. And in fact, um, what we've tended to see throughout the cycle is um, companies kind of testing their pricing power in the market, increasing uh, prices because they discover that they can, that the market will, will bear that. Uh, that show, can show up, at least in some industries, in, in the form of higher profitability. And then labor waddles in after the fact, trying to make up um, you know, what they've lost in real earnings power um, you know, over the previous cycle of price rises. So I, I think that it's it's fair to, to and, and basically what this is saying is that you have to start looking at the supply side of the economy instead of looking at the demand side of the economy, which is really what a lot of this focus on the labor market is about. The assumption is that sort of, you know, wage rises, fuel, um, excess consumption, you know, it, it gins up demand, which then, you know, bids up prices and becomes this wage price spiral. So I, I think we do need to think about what's going on on the supply side. Now, the, the problem almost immediately that you run into with the economists on the left who are doing this is that the problem is not greed. In a weird way, the problem is a failure of greed. Um, what's happening is that we have the inflation because supply and supply, especially in the economy, is not responding to the price signal of increasing prices and increasing corporate profitability, which if you remember back to your Econ 101 courses, um, you know, should induce more production. 
and it should um, induce um, you know, sort of more investment to create that additional production um, because you know the higher profits are assigned that, that additional investment in production would be rewarded. Um, and meanwhile, the thing that should be going on is that higher prices for some goods, whether it's food or energy, should be rebalancing consumption to those things. And then you would see declining prices for the goods that people were shifting away from. Um, so I think that kind of if you if you think about how your Econ 101 class told you that the economy should function, and then you look at what's actually going on in the inflation cycle, that offers some clues about what the problems are. And one of the problems are that um, supply is not responding to these price signals. And I think that for that, you actually have to look at things like uh, regulatory problems, um, you know, whether it is the, um, you know, land use regulation in, in housing, whether it's uh, any of the regulations that, that get uh, larded onto businesses that are trying to invest in, in this country or other parts of the developed world, um, whether it is uh, energy policies, which are driving up the cost of energy and making it very difficult for businesses to respond by increasing their, their own output uh, because of the influence of these higher energy costs. Uh, and then you also do have to look at monetary and, and fiscal factors dating back to the pandemic that explain why only now household budgets really seem to be getting squeezed in a way that might force people to scale back on consumption of, of things like holidays or, uh, you know, that home improvement project that maybe you were on the fence about doing. Um, whereas before, people felt that they had the resources to do all of that at the same time. And so it was kind of that goosed demand plus the constraints on supply. And we need to talk a lot more about the supply because the only thing that the central bank seems to be interested in right now is the demand side of the equation. Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite interesting points, mate, because I, I get quite, um, I suppose, instinctively nervous when we start talking about uh, kind of corporate power and pricing as a, as a driving factor of inflation. Um, and then and then there are often these kind of ridiculous statistical claims made about GB, um, you know, make the makeup of GDP and whether or not profit has gone up as a proportion. It hasn't really significantly, but at one point it looked like it might have. Um, and there were some false figures put around claiming that 80% of inflation was profit driven. Um, I think it is it obviously interesting and true to suggest that, um, that the market has failed to, I suppose, increase supply. I mean, in some respects, you'd expect that there are, particularly in the short run, the reason why you have inflation is because the market can't you know, increase supply overnight, especially when you've got things like labor shortages across the economy, people have left the workforce um, during COVID and aren't coming back for whatever reasons that might be. You've got more people on sickness leave for whatever reason that might be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got all those supply restraints. And then on top of that, I think you have what you're talking about here, which is just the broader reason why um, it's, a, it's difficult to expand the supply side of the economy because we, we don't let people, we don't let people build factories, we don't let people build laboratories, we don't let people build housing, we don't let people build fracking, we don't let people build um, wind, we don't let them build solar, we don't let them build nuclear. Like if, if you can't, um, despite having increased demand and, and, and increasing general other you know, signs of um, income, you, if you don't allow any of that, naturally the, the um, outcomes are going to be disastrous. So I think, yeah, moving on to a supply side conversation is um, quite an interesting one and probably a much more longer term one. And also ironically does speak to what Liz Truss was talking about when, when she was focusing on the supply side of the economy. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it, it's going to be really important for people to to get clear on what Truss did actually did wrong, uh, but then also what she did right. I think that the the thing that they did wrong was not proposing the supply side, um, you know, tax policies and also the supply side you know, regulatory reforms that they were going to try to get into, um, because the UK economy desperately needs that. I mean, if you look at the tax system right now, um, it is very punishing for productive business investment, which is a big reason uh, why so many, you know, asset managers such as pension funds, you know, end up crowding into to gilts. I mean, partly there are regulatory reasons to do with the pension funds themselves. Partly, it's also because this economy just really struggles uh, to create, um, you know, investment opportunities that are going to be profitable for investors once you account for all of the tax and regulatory costs that get piled onto the supply side of the British economy. So she was absolutely right to be talking about that. I think that where they they went wrong was that they underestimated how fragile the UK economy was after 10 to 15 years of really bad post-2008 economic policy. I mean, not just on the tax and regulatory side, but especially on the monetary side. Um, they did not appreciate going into that um, policy experiment exactly how brittle the financial system was going to be. Um, you know, after interest rates had been so unnaturally low for such a long time. Now, I mean, we have to remember that because that was ultimately a consequence of the rising interest rates and not specifically because of the tax policies that sort of triggered this event, um, we we very likely would have ended up in the same place eventually anyway. I mean, if that crisis with the pension funds and the gilt market had not happened in September, it very likely would be happening right about now, just in the normal course of the Bank of England having to raise rates to uh, fight inflation. Because what they were vulnerable to was the rising interest rates. They were not vulnerable to the tax cuts specifically. So it didn't and, really... And, and the size yeah. and the scope of those tax cuts has been um, greatly exaggerated as well. I, ju I just want to move on slightly. So, so we've kind of established here that there's this kind of interesting short and, and longer term story about why we have inflation, why it's so sticky, potentially um, in a loose monetary policy, all those um, short term supply side issues, but also longer term kind of structural issues in the economy. Um, in terms of the more practical effects of this, which is where a lot of the discourse has been in the last few days in the UK, um, both in respect to what this means for households. I think I think it could be quite esoteric to talk about all these policy failures, but it does seem like there are going to be households struggling. There are going to be, by by you know various calculations, millions of people refinancing over the next um, year or so at much much higher interest rates. Um, they've bought properties that you know arguably they they they, they definitely you know, could afford, and and they were meant to be stress tested to a certain interest rate increase. Perhaps they weren't properly stress tested from a you know one and a half percent to a six percent increase in in their interest um, repayments. Do, do you see this? having a, a potentially quite kind of negative household effect, you know, as we're stripping money away from people, is there a risk of something like uh, defaults at a, a very high level and number and, and that in itself, you know, having quite tumultuous impacts and pushing the economy into some kind of relatively deeper recession uh, b just because people were quite vulnerable? 
yes, I mean, I think that's a very serious danger right now, which is one reason, although I mean, I'm always wary of uh, predicting recessions or lack of recessions. Um, I will say that it is currently very difficult to see how the UK is going to be able to thread the needle of getting through the situation without falling into a recession, precisely because, as you mentioned, what is happening is um, the effect on household consumption is going to be substantial because now um, resources which are perhaps more finite than they were in the era of fiscal expansion during the uh, pandemic, uh, household resources now are becoming more limited at the same time that more and more of those resources are going to have to go to the mortgage in one form or another. And that will either take the form of higher monthly interest payments or uh, devoting a large portion of household liquid savings to lump sum payments in the mortgage to try to bring down the total amount of debt and the monthly interest payment moving forward. Um, in either of those circumstances, that is money that is not available for consumption any, anymore. And it's also money that is not available for productive investment, um, which is the other thing that you would ordinarily hope that people were doing if they were not consuming, you would want them to be putting the money into starting a, a small business or into investing in uh, shares to fund other people's businesses ideas or saving it in the bank so that that money could be uh, repurposed into productive business lending. None of that's going to happen for as long as we're dealing with this mortgage problem. And I don't think there's going to be a good solution to the mortgage problem. I mean, the Economists can say that um, this is a very good reason why the Bank of England never should have suppressed interest rates for that long in the first place, um, which is true. It's also kind of irrelevant because the fact is that they did, and now there is not going to be a pain-free way for people to get through it. And I think that the hardship um, for the economy and for individual households is going to be substantial. And it's really something that I would hope that uh, you know the government and parliament are going to hold the Bank of England to account for um, moving forward to try to understand how they could have made such serious errors for such a long time that have such serious consequences for, for people. Um, but I, I, I think that it is going to become a big weight on, on the UK economy. And the challenge for the government moving forward is going to be to try to ameliorate the damage as much as possible. Now, the good the good thing that they could do would be to try to approach this as a supply side problem and say, we don't like being here, but this is our opportunity to solve um, a big problem, which was the over-reliance on housing investment and the under reliance or under provision of productive business investment. And so the way that we would do that is accompany this increase in interest rates to historically normal levels, mind you, um, that are going to correct the housing market, accompany that with a suite of regulatory and tax policies that, that can help pivot into productive investment. So put households in a situation where although they are paying more for their mortgages, uh, the tax on their labor income is coming down instead of going up as it is right now. And also that you're reducing the tax on investment income so that you're at least trying to you know, free up some resources and create better incentives to tip 
out, you know, into productive investment to counterbalance some of the consequences of the um, you know, rising mortgage rates. So, this so is, hopeful, Joseph, so hopeful. No, I, I, I want to point out that this is exactly, if you look at the bones of it, what the trust quarting plan was trying to do. They, they never put it this explicitly, but that was the rotation that they were attempting to achieve. Um, having concluded politically uh, for various reasons that this is not an option, uh, the Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt government now is going to be stuck basically explaining to people why they ought to be immiserated for their own good. Well, indeed. And, and I think the, the political implications here, which are quite um, dire for the, for the government, if, you know, if everything else wasn't going terribly, one of the, the key constituencies uh, for, for the Tories um, at election times are um, mortgage holders, particularly in, in marginal constituencies. This kind of idea of someone who's you know, been you know, moderately successful, managed to move up into a, a kind of middle class um, lifestyle and just managed to get themselves onto the housing ladder. And now they're just seeing their costs skyrocketing. Um, there have been some demands and calls on the government to to do their, their classic and borrow uh, some billions of pounds. I think the Liberal Democrats are calling for a, a fund to support mortgage holders and subsidise um, them in the same way we just subsidise energy bills in the same way we paid everyone's salary during COVID. Uh, that, that seems to be the extent of re serious response to this issue we're getting in the political debate at the moment. Well, I, I, I mean, the, the far simpler solution, I mean, so the problem with that, I mean, the political appeal of that, obviously, is that it makes the pain stop very quickly for households who also vote. Um, so it, it's not a mystery um, that you know, people are, are proposing that. And it's also not a mystery that the people who are proposing it are proposing it. Um, you know, that's going to be a, a very popular idea on the left. Um, it's, obviously, it's obviously a terrible idea, by the way. It just oh, oh yes. In the, in the sense that you would have to borrow more and therefore push up guilt and push up interest rates. And you'd also be putting just more spending power into people's pockets, which would drive inflation as well. So on all sides well, well, of it. Well, 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 no, I mean, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to the idea of trying to find um, fiscal policies that can put more money in people's pockets, but you have to do it in the right way. So, I mean, the, the, the silver lining, the only silver lining, and it is a very thin silver lining uh, to the current mortgage catastrophe, is that it is providing the UK with an opportunity to rotate out of this historic over-reliance on housing, um, both to goose the economy and as a vector of middle-class savings. Um, but then cling on to that. If it's the only thing that you have as the government that you can seize on as a potential positive in this disastrous situation that you yourselves have created, run with it. And the way that you do that is um, stop this nonsense freeze on the tax brackets that Jeremy Hunt has introduced, which is going to mean that um, millions of households will be inflating their way into higher tax brackets, um, you know, at the margin without seeing an increase in their real purchasing power. Don't try to take that money out of the household sector through taxation at the same time that the mortgage markets through the working of historically normal interest rates will be doing it. Um, you, you know, create that 
extra incentive to, to work and the, the rewards for um, work by not punishing people for earning more or um, revisit uh, all of these fiddly little things that they did in the you know Jeremy Hunt's rectification budget where they you know go and they impose more punitive taxation on capital income for middle class households. I mean these taxes on capital gains and dividends actually are punishing the kind of productive investment that we want households to be rotating into um, you know, by, by diminishing the returns that people can, can get from that. So I, I, I think that the, the, the key point here, and this is something that the Tories should be able to understand, and it's malpractice politically that they are preventing themselves from getting it, is that I mean this inflate this rotation I'm talking about is going to be absolutely miserable for households. I, I get it. I mean I'm paying a mortgage too, so I am not um, ignorant of the the pain that people are experiencing here. Um, but from a policy perspective, the the only way that you can get through this less scathed than any of the other ways is to try to complete this supply side rotation. And if the Tories aren't going to talk about it no one else will. And if they aren't going to talk about it, then they're probably going to have to deal with the political consequences arising from their inability to articulate any other kind of sensible approach to the situation. I mean, I will give Labour uh, credit on two recent points, one of them being at least talking about uh, the, the housing crisis and the need to increase housing supply, uh, which I thought was a quick, very positive step. And they've also in their, their energy policy uh, this week announced that they go they're going to uh, liberalise the planning rules for onshore um, renewable energy production. Now, of course, maybe that principle should be expanded more widely, but um, there's at least, I suppose, not completely devoid of thinking on the, on the Labour side when it comes to economic growth. Well, and I think the key thing there also is going to be to watch whether uh, Keir Starmer is able to sustain the kind of uh, policy war on fossil fuels that they've been talking about, because, I mean, there have been some hints that um, that might turn out not to be as sustainable politically as people might have thought, um, particularly because the unions are noticing what the implications would be for employment in the oil field uh, out in the North Sea. That That's good. I, please, unions, keep up that pressure on labor because the British economy needs someone, anyone, who is prepared to um, argue more vigorously for more reliable fossil fuel production alongside whatever renewable targets they, they want to set in order to keep the energy um, prices under control. Because re remember the problem with renewables, it's partly the cost, it's partly the unreliability compared to um, you know, fossil fuels and the balancing costs. And if you can't work the, that out, and have cheap, abundant energy, including by using clean burning natural gas when you need to, you will not have an industrial base and you are really going to struggle to get uh, inflation under control because you will never solve these supply side problems. Well, on that fascinating note, uh, Joseph Sternberg from the Wall Street Journal Editorial World, thank you so much for joining the IEA podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe on your chosen podcast provider and uh, you can also access and, and learn more about the IEA's work uh, by visiting iea.org.uk.